Hello, welcome to the Market Weekly podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist. I'm joined this week by Alex Johnson, Portfolio Manager for Absolute Return Strategies, to talk about the role of absolute return in the current environment. And I imagine as we think about uh, where we are in 2021, how things are changing, uh, what's happened over the last year, uh, honestly, I think it's a bit of a good news, bad news perspective. Um, the good news we've had, thanks to central banks and massive fiscal support from governments, gotten through the pandemic and the lockdown recessions and actually moving into reflation. Uh, that's a good news. Perhaps less good news is that with this massive monetary support uh, that's been provided to markets, for a fixed income investor, that now presents some challenges uh, when they think about diversification that they hope to get within fixed income, looking for income, looking for stability. Maybe that's not quite as easy to come by as it had been in the past. If I can start with you, Alex, what's your outlook for rates and for growth? And then what role can absolute return strategies play in that? Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Daniel. And, uh, and it's great to be with you today. Um, so uh, the outlook, I think, unsurprisingly, is uh, pretty positive here. Um, after the really the three uh, main pillars that we got over the course of last year, firstly, the massive monetary accommodation. Secondly, the enormous fiscal support, which uh, which which is still in place, uh, and then thirdly, uh, the very successful uh, vaccine rollout uh, that we've seen. You know, the outlook is for a return to a uh, very positive growth outlook, uh, which which I think we we can see first of all just in terms of um, uh, so-called base effects. So effectively, from a deep trough, just just getting yourself out of that trough uh, gives uh, gives numbers which which. Which, which look good, but actually, I think it's it's going to be much more broadly based than that. Uh, that the the uh, extreme monetary easing that we saw it was entirely justified, but it was without precedent. The massive fiscal response that we've seen. And basically, that suppressed demand from you know so many of us who've been uh, who've been kind of stuck at home uh, means that the growth outlook I think over the course of the coming uh, of, of the coming year is is very strong uh, indeed, and that's going to be the case in the United States uh, and the United Kingdom uh, in particular. It's looking like Europe as well will experience that, but perhaps at a slight delay uh, given the um, given the vaccine rollout and some of the additional challenges that uh, that Europe experiences. And of course, we've already seen some version of this. Because we've seen uh, what's happened in in China, for example, where China is is clearly some months ahead um, of of what has happened in the United States. So, growth outlook, I think, you know, really uh, extremely positive for the coming year, and and that's that's obviously something which um, which is I think good for all of us. Uh, whether that's as good for fixed income portfolios, uh, clearly that's uh, that's really the nature of the question today. So what do you anticipate is going to be the progress of rates with that extremely positive growth outlook, as you put it, ahead of us? Yeah, well, this is this is the, um, we might say the $64,000 question, but I think we can actually say this is the many trillions of dollars question, uh, given, the, given the size of the bond market. Uh, you know, at the most simple level uh, that, you know, all of us, all of us know, essentially uh, bonds, 
And fixed income tends to perform best in periods of, of, of deteriorating growth. Um, and, and the reasons for that are that uh, essentially uh, in periods of, of lower growth, you expect to see central banks cut interest rates. Interest rates falling is good for bonds through, of course, the very simple mechanism that uh, when yields fall, prices rise, that inverse relationship of price to yield that, that is, is how fixed income works. So it's, it follows that if we're then forecasting um, a, a significant positive growth outlook, what you would classically expect is for central banks to look uh, really to, to remove that monetary accommodation and indeed actively to tighten. That would be the kind of classical pattern. Um, and, and when that happens, bonds would tend to underperform all things being equal. Uh, and I think some version of that uh, is likely where we are. Uh, U.S. Treasury rates are a little above 1.5% uh, at the moment in the in the 10-year uh, part of the yield curve. And I think that for any plausible scenario over the course of this year, we're going to see rates continue to rise um, over the course uh, over the course of this year. Um, you know, we we are reluctant, I suppose, to make aggressive forecasts, but let's say a number like 1.8% on the 10-year looks uh, looks extremely uh, plausible at this stage. And similar moves, although perhaps without quite that level of, um, of magnitude, are to be seen really across the world. But that's where I think it gets a little bit more complicated, because what the Federal Reserve has told us in particular, and I think the ECB um, has told us, uh, told us as well, is that this recovery isn't really like other recoveries. And one of the key things that we would focus on um, is the nature of the shutdown that we saw over the course of last year. This fell disproportionately um, on the service sector in particular, in ways we all understand. Bars, restaurants, cinemas, travel, all shut down. And then there's the composition of the employment of the people who work in those sectors. And it does tend to skew uh, more towards um, uh, more towards uh, members of ethnic minorities and also more towards, uh, towards women. Um, and the Federal Reserve uh, and uh, under Chair Powell uh, seems to have been really very clear on this, that they are focused um, on an, a much more equitable uh, recovery than perhaps previous central bank governors have, have, have been. Um, and so, yes, for those of us who are in white-collar jobs um, and who've been able to work from home, you know, clearly there is going to be some sort of resumption to normal um, uh, much faster. Uh, but for those people who have been much more scarred, uh, you know, who are unemployed and who's, you know, unlike in previous recessions where perhaps, you know, if, if they've lost their job, um, the nature of recovery is that some business might be there to employ them, um, that the nature of this particular scarring experience is that those businesses may, in, in, in many cases, just not be there anymore, thinking particularly about smaller businesses, restaurants, and so on. Now, eventually, um, all of those uh, empty units will will um, clearly be repurposed. Uh, people will be able to be hired. Uh, but that's a process which we think won't take place uh, immediately or sort of aggressively. And so what the Fed has told us is that they are concerned about that, that equity, which tends to mean that the Fed will move later rather than earlier. And there's a second component to that, which is which is somewhat related, um, but that the Federal Reserve uh, did a lot of work on AIT, average inflation targeting, um, and what they've told us is that they will allow the economy to run in the in the jargon hotter. In other words, that they would allow inflation to overshoot the two percent target for longer before 
uh, they begin to tighten rates. And that, that's, a, that's a real change in policy because previously the way that a central bank would try to manage the inflation picture is, is more that they would attempt, uh, in a perfect world, they would attempt to kind of marry a gentle easing cycle, if you like, to arrive at a point where where a neutral policy rate perfectly coincided with uh, achieving the inflation target. And they've told us they're not going to do that now. They're going to wait. Um, and the numbers in the market are maybe six months or 12 months behind, which is to say that that simple relationship of yields rising to then central banks tightening rates is not going to be nearly as simple as it used to be. And that narrative in the markets is is what we're going to need to navigate. So if I understand correctly what you've told us, number one, we would anticipate rates rising because growth is good. On top of that, we've got perhaps a more indulgent Fed when it comes to inflation. So really two more challenges when it comes to managing fixed income. So you are a portfolio manager for absolute return strategies. What are you doing then with this type of outlook? Yeah, because it's a it's 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 a challenging um, outlook because it's one in which you know rates rates may 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 rise somewhat, but it's one where uh, policymakers are explicitly endorsing the notion that inflation may 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 be allowed to move to uh, to the upside uh, relative to their targets. And for fixed income investors, uh, what that means in in, in effect um, is that the you know we are we are faced with an environment where growth is good. That tends not to be great for the asset class overall. There are pockets where that may be different. Emerging markets, arguably credit, for example. But on a kind of simple basis, you would expect fixed income uh, to underperform uh, relative to other other asset classes. Uh, and, and, and let me um, explain uh, why that's that's problematic right now. Given the nature of uh, yields falling to such an extraordinary level, um, that was that was essentially good last year for, for fixed income investors. And for many fixed income investors, actually, it was extremely good. Um, but what you get in, uh, in any uh, fixed income instrument is you get duration, right? So duration, interest rate sensitivity. Um, and and um, the the interest rate sensitivity, the duration in fixed income has has rarely been higher than it is right now, which means that uh, moves upwards in yields uh, take away and take away very rapidly potentially uh, a lot of the capital appreciation that we that we saw. So to to put that in slightly plainer English, you know we foresee capital losses in uh, in fixed income, and those capital losses may be actually quite significant given the extent of duration uh, that that is embedded in there. There is unfortunately a second component to be concerned about, which is inflation, um, and we know that again classically speaking, uh, inflation is the enemy. Of, uh, of fixed income investors, it is one way uh, by which ultimately the um, the the principal that is going to be returned to you at the maturity of the of the bond by which that is eroded in value. Now, people have been uh, people have been concerned about inflation at, at the very least since the um, central bank reaction to the global financial crisis now twelve and a half years ago, and it's fair to say that inflation was the dog that didn't bark, uh, and then some. But it, it really does look to be a little bit different now. Um, first of all, you have the central bank explicitly telling you uh, that they want to generate inflation over and above the the target. Now, some people would question whether the, the credibility of 
that promise. That's an active debate in uh, in in markets. But if we take it at face value, um, that's quite a promise for a bond investor to 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 hear. But it's not even just just that. It's not even it's not as though the the central banks have uh, all the cards. Um, if we think about actually what's going on in the in in the market, you have an environment where um, supply and demand appear to be out of kilter with each other in a number of different areas. Oil might be one of those areas. And I, I say this knowing that uh, people who forecast oil have uh, some of the worst track records of accuracy across any forecasting, across any financial asset. So I, I step gingerly and carefully here. Um, but one of the things that we thought we saw over the course of last year was a reduction in the production capacity of uh, of of, uh, of oil exporters. We we saw that particularly in the United States with uh, with with shale. There are countries where you can almost literally just turn on the taps, and 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 famously Saudi Arabia seems to be one of those places. Uh, that is not true of uh, shale oil production. Once that production is limited, it cannot simply be uh, turned back on. And experts have said that oil production may uh, uh, now maybe at only about ninety three percent of where where we thought it was around a year a year ago so your supply all things being equal is lower than it otherwise might have been at a time when going into the second half of this year I know many of us are uh, optimi- you know optimistically planning holidays and such like it is plausible to imagine that demand for transportation will uh, explode uh, to the to the upside. Perhaps that's an unfortunate word to use in the context of oil, um, but that you have that demand supply mismatch, um, and, and of course that's one of the potential ingredients for inflation. If we think about uh, travel, for example, well, um, uh, or, or the the leisure sector more generally. Well, if we think about restaurants where uh, the number of tables might, for example, be limited at least until everybody is is vaccinated, and and more than that, people feel comfortable. Uh, being outside or, or being in, in in enclosed spaces, I should say. Um, well, again, if you have uh, demand for a product being very high, and let's say going to restaurants, going to leisure facilities might be one of those, I, th- I think that's quite plausible. But the supply is mechanically limited by you know, perspex dividers and, and the various other things you, that, that you might get. Well, you are you are effectively describing potentially a supply-demand mismatch. Um, and that may be intensified if not all of the restaurants um, and other leisure facilities um, actually emerge from the crisis un- unscathed. So there are ways in which we can see uh, inflation might actually be plausibly bubbling through the system. Um, now, that's not a forecast, uh, but it is something I think that we do need to be concerned about. And as fixed income investors, inflation is ultimately the great enemy. Um, and then the third part, uh, you know, would, would ultimately be credit assets. And, and credit assets performed very, very strongly over the course of last year. Um, and, and what that meant is that spreads really compressed to historically very, very tight, uh, tight levels. Um, and it's, it's not particularly obvious that they would have very much room uh, to, to tighten further. Um, and, and again, if we think about the composition of many fixed income portfolios, uh, that you know the, the the problem there is, you know, we could be facing the the triple whammy. The triple whammy being that the exposure to duration, which may turn negative, the um, the erosion of principal values through inflation, and then lastly, credit spreads being so tight and and potentially really only having uh, one way a uh, one way to go, or certainly not insulating you. So. 
I've just painted um, potentially um, a, quite a gloomy picture for fixed income assets. It's not quite run to the hills, but I, I, I think it's certainly uh, no one would describe this as uh, as, as optimistic, uh, which is where absolute return comes in. So what absolute return strategies are aiming to do is we're aiming to go back to um, the first principles of why it is that we're in fixed income in the first place. And I, I would say there are traditionally probably three reasons. Uh, the first is that we would be looking for a diversifier in our in our portfolios, typically to equity, but to other uh, market dynamics as well. The second part, well, the clue is in the name income, right? We're, we're, we're looking for sort of positive returns over time. And, and the third part is we're looking for a part of the portfolio, which is actually something of a store of capital value, um, you know, in, in, again, in the jargon, sort of avoiding drawdown risk. Um, and yet, when we look at how a fixed income allocation at the moment is is comprised, I, you know, I'm, I'm painting a picture. Well, you know, it, it's it's probably not going to be particularly uh, a particular source of diversification. Um, it, the return stream is likely to be negative, and then thirdly, that negativity could be actually really quite significant. So, this this may not just be uh, a store of value; it may be actually value destruction. Um, but for many of us, it's not as simple as just walking away from the asset class and saying, "Well, that's that's it." Then, uh, you know, what, what what are we supposed to what are we supposed to do about that? We still need those three those three drivers. So, what absolute return aims to do is to free you from the benchmark. Ultimately, it's a strategy um, which is very diversified. It aims to be uncorrelated to the wider market. Um, uncorrelated within itself, um, and and to be able to deliver those three promises of being diversified, uh, of delivering positive returns over time, and minimising the the drawdown risk. And the way it does that is is chiefly by being managed against cash. Uh, rather than a benchmark that traps you in uh, or can trap you in, in in exposures that you may not want, it is able to be very flexible. So because we don't have that benchmark, we don't have to be positioned in things just because an index provider has told us to do so, and we can instead position ourselves for for for, for things that have positive stories associated uh, with them. Um, and and thirdly. And perhaps in this context, most importantly, absolute return strategies are able to be short as well as long. So we can not just insulate you uh, from uh, from down markets, we can actively profit from them. And if we then synthesize that, this is something which is ticking the boxes of what fixed income is supposed to do. Diversification, generate a positive return, avoid significant drawdown risk, but recombining those same ingredients in a way that you're not tying yourself to the mast of a ship uh, that might be about to be in very, very stormy weather, uh, if not actually going down. That was absolutely fascinating, Alex. Thanks very much. If I could recap uh, what you've shared with us, you have an extremely positive growth outlook. Uh, we have still significant monetary combination, ongoing fiscal support, vaccines rolling out. So that's the good news. Uh, but a corollary of that is that we anticipate interest rates continuing to rise. Uh, and even more so when we have the Fed in particular, either because of concerns around equity as they look at the economic recovery or their new average inflation targeting framework, might be more tolerant inflation than they would have been in the past. So along with rising rates because of growth, perhaps higher inflation than people anticipate. And another reason for that is that we may be facing supply constraints just as we see a big surge in demand as we come out of lockdown.
So your proposal for a fixed income investor to face these challenges uh, are absolute return strategies, which you believe can provide diversification, income, and help to minimize drawdown risk as we face uh, what will continue to be, I imagine, a challenging environment for fixed income investors. Well, that's all we have for today. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. My thanks again to Alex for sharing his insights. Please join us next week when I will be speaking with Olivier Laplany to discuss multi-factor investing in corporate bonds. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.